Hey, if you have a Bible, let's uh, open up to Luke, Luke's gospel and chapter 7. Luke was uh, not one of the disciples of Jesus, but he was a follower. And uh, he went around and asked all the eyewitnesses about their accounts, and then he wrote them all down. We're, we're starting this series called Playlist, and if you're new to Core Church, uh, my background, I spent about 18 years on the radio doing morning shows, and I love music. And the one thing I know about music is, um, I, I don't know why, but we, we, we either call it secular or Christian, and I don't know why we do that, and I'm not saying it's terrible to do that or whatever, but I just think it's crazy that we do that, because Music isn't secular and music isn't Christian. By the way, uh, I've never seen a song get saved, so there's no such thing as Christian music. There's only Christian people, but I digress. Uh, but listen, here's the thing about music, and this is what I believe about music, is music falls in one of two camps. It either glorifies God or it does not. And that's your decision maker. Does this glorify God? doesn't matter if it's on the radio. doesn't matter if it's sold in a Christian bookstore. It does not matter. Does it glorify God or not. And so what we like to do is take songs because there's something about music and songs will define a generation. They, they speak for us. And we all have that song. You know that song that comes on the radio or, or that you have on uh, Spotify or, or um, Pandora and it comes on and that's your song. And you're transported back and those memories and those things and, and, and it just kind of says who you are. And we love music to speak for us. So over the next few weeks, we're going to take some songs and and look at them and, and look at them through a biblical filter of what is God trying to speak to us, maybe through a song like that. So in Luke's gospel, um, we're going to look today, and for the next few weeks, we're going to look at three different Marys and three encounters with Jesus. Now, in Scripture, if you ever study in the New Testament, what you're going to see is there's a whole lot of ladies named Mary. Any Marys in the house? Come on, Marys in the house. Do we have any Marys here today? No? What? Where? Where? Where's Mary? Am I missing her? Mary, Mary, right here. Give it up for Mary. We have one Mary in the house, so right here in front of me, sorry. So in Scripture, we see these, and it gets confusing. Is this, is this the mother of Mary? Is this the prostitute? Is this, is, is this, who is this? Is this the woman at the well? Is the woman at the well mother's, uh, the mother of Jesus and a prostitute? I just don't know. I'm so confused. And it gets that way because they're all named Mary. So we're going to look at three different ones, and today we're looking specifically at Mary of Bethany. Now, over the centuries, you need to know that this story has been often confused with different Marys. But as far as we can tell and as far as we can discern, most scholars now believe this is Mary of Bethany, and Mary was the sister of Lazarus. If you know the story from the Bible, Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. This is the sister. Uh, and then there was Mary and Martha, and there's a story in the Bible about that. Mary is the sister of Lazarus and of Martha, and went on to become, uh, after this story that we're going to read today, went on to become one of Jesus' closest friends. So would you stand with me? We're going to read some scripture here. Luke chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to download version on your phone. And it's a great app. And I read out of the New Living Translation. So if you're following along on your phone, look for the NLT, New Living Translation. Go to verse 36. That's where we're going to start. This story that Luke uh, gives us the account of. It says, one of the Pharisees, if you're new to church, by the way, a Pharisee, fancy word for a religious leader, okay, like a preacher of their day, asked Jesus to have dinner with him. Uh, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. I like this. By the way, he's not doing this because he's excited uh, uh, to have Jesus as his guest. He's excited because it's going to make him look good. This Pharisee's really put, puffed up, full of pride, and he knows if I have Jesus at my house, 
I'm going to be, I'm going to be the elite because uh, Jesus is really cool and people are going to like me for that. And what I like, though, is this is what is cool. Jesus shows up anyway. Even when you're full of pride, you can show up in church full of pride and Jesus will show up in your life. This is who he is and this is what he does. So he sat down and went to the home, sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman, by the way, this word immoral, she was a prostitute. She was a, a lady of the night. Roxanne. Okay, that's who she was, okay? <laughs> My people. First service. I did that first service. It was crickets chirping. So you're my people. All right, that's good. Some of you are like, is Roxanne? I thought her name was Mary. I'm confused. <laughs> Just talk to me later. Okay. So she's, she's a prostitute. And she shows up. She brought a, a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And she knelt down. Now, this is, listen to this next part, and I'll explain it. Then she knelt down beside him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, if you hear that right now, you're like, huh? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like if some lady shows up at your house and starts petting your husband's feet, you're like, out, you're gone. Because it's weird to us. But it wasn't weird in this context. Because in that day, they didn't wear, uh, they wore sandals and it was not paved roads. It was dusty and dirty. And so if you came into somebody's home, they would honor you by washing your, their, the feet. And sometimes they'd use perfume or oils. It's typically a slave or a servant that would, that would do that. And then if they didn't have a towel, the ladies would actually let down their hair and wipe off. I mean, it was that kind of humility and that kind of honoring of a person. So that's what's going on. It says, when the Pharisee, the religious person, who, was invited, who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then I like it. So he's kind of thinking this to himself. But you've ever, you, ever, you ever said something like you're not really trying to get anybody to hear you, but you want everybody to hear you? You know, like you give it as a prayer request, but it's not really a prayer request. You just want to talk about somebody? Come on. It's church. That's what he's doing. Okay? And he's saying it loud enough. And so Jesus, he actually hears his thoughts and he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he's like, oh, yeah, go ahead. What, what is it? <laughs> and Jesus said this. Told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 to one, 50 to another. Neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Now he says, who do you suppose loved him more, more after that? And Simon said this, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman, but he said this to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your, your home, you, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, you didn't greet me with a kiss. But from, this, from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You, you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. I, I tell you this, her sins, and there are a lot of them, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little, they show only a little love. And now as Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table, they said to themselves, who's this, who's this man who goes around forgiving sins? Uh, Jesus, son of God, you know, Messiah, I don't know. And Jesus said this to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. All right, let me pray and then we'll be seated. Father, thank you for 17 amazing years. We want you to be honored and glorified. This is your house, not our house. We are just just guests here, friends here. This is your house. Thank you for allowing us, God, to worship you and be on this journey with you for all of these years. And now would you speak to us? You, you have a message for all of us, and 
Even those of us who are not followers of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus right now, just say, hey, God, will you just speak to me too? And I'm telling you, he's going to speak to you. Pray for me that I'm going to be faithful to the text and faithful to what the Holy Spirit's trying to get said in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. All right, now wait. When you're, before you see it, I want you to do this. I want you to turn to two people, and I want you to tell them, here's how long I've been coming. Here's how long I've been coming. And then you can be seated, okay? Tell them how long. Hey, it might be your first Sunday. You might be 17 years. How long you've been coming, and then sit down. So for the last uh, two years, I have uh, really been uh, wor working out, working hard, and try trying to, you know, trying to work with this. I've been trying to work with this, and uh, and it's been it's gone okay. And uh, but but frankly, I've been a little bit frustrated. I do I do push-ups and sit-ups every day. I, I work out like three times a week, and I was really committed to 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 looking good. And, and now, here's the thing. It, not my arms or my legs. I'm, I'm skinny. I just am. But, but I, I, have, I, have, I have this, okay? This thing right here. Can the men in the house over 35 feel my pain? If you have, listen, 35 hits you and it just goes boom. And I don't know what it is. Yeah, I just did that. Uh, it just comes out of nowhere. And it's frustrating. Even my daughter has come over to me and she's like, boop, boop. And I'm like, don't do that. Just to remind me, and, I, and I've been really, really frustrated because my goal two years ago, two years ago, my goal was to tuck in my shirt. As you can see, I have still not accomplished my goal. I'm working. The day's coming. You're going to see this preacher get up here and you'll be like, he's got his shirt tucked in. God answers prayer. There is a Lord in heaven. But here's what I realized. I just really had this realization that, man, I am not to blame. Laura is to blame. It's all her fault. Because what happened is simultaneously at the time when I decided I was going to get in shape and work out and do things right, she decided she was going to start baking again. And I mean, she can bake up in the house. I mean, cinnamon rolls and homemade bread and on and on and on. And I was like, you know, and being a good husband and, and for the sake of our marriage, uh, I, I obliged and I, I ate it. And, and this is what I, I, I got for it. Now, I have a theory. Now, I have a theory. Um, and, and just go with me. Just go with me on, on, on this theory. Ladies, ladies you, you love a guy with six-pack abs. Don't look at me like that. You look at me like that. You're like, oh, not me, not me. No, honey, I like your, I like that little round thing. I like that. That's cute. Like, I, some of you guys, this is funny. Some of you guys, you, you like coming to church and you sit down. And you're like, oh no, and you do this and you put your hands like this, thinking you're hiding it. No, this is just like a, an armrest. Okay, it's like a shelf. That's what that is. It ain't hiding nothing. Okay. <laughs> but I, I realized I was like, this is not my. I didn't do this to me. She did this to me, and so I. So here's my, here's my theory. You, you, you ladies, you, you love the, the, the six-pack abs, and, and the, even, even Laura, because we, we I, I, here's where I got my theory. We were sitting down, and we'd pick out a movie, and it seems like every other time we pick out a movie, she wants to watch Sahara with Matthew McConaughey. We're halfway through the movie, and I realize why she wants to watch the movie. He doesn't have a shirt on the entire movie. 
And she's like, oh, no, I like the action. No, I love the action. Yeah, you like the action, all right. Yeah, you do, all right. <laughs> but this is, what, this is what you ladies, listen, this is my theory, okay? This is a theory. I'm not a woman. I don't know, uh, but it's my theory. I think what you ladies do is when you land the guy, you tag the guy. You fatten him up. You're like, you announce it to everybody. He's off the market. Because that's what you ladies, you're like, oh, check him out. And you're like, oh, no, nope, off the market. No, nope, can't have that one. And so I've obliged her. I'm, I just said, you know what? I'm just going to give in. I'm just going to rock the dad bod. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm just going to embrace it. This is who I am. But we, we all have uh, an imperfection. We all have something about us that, that you don't like. Like you look in the mirror and you're just like, man, I wish that, I wish that was different. And so we, we try to cover it up or we try to uh, disguise it in some way or I'm going to project a different image that people won't really know. And, and not only do we do that with our outward appearance, but we also do that in, inwardly. We, we, don't, we don't want people to know who we really are. Um, and that, that is not just a church thing. That's a, we do that with our families. We do that in the workplaces. We do that at our schools and on our college campuses. We, we don't want people to know who, how we're really, what we're really dealing with, and we don't want people to know the shame that we carry, that when you look in the mirror, you, you don't just see this. You, you, see, you see inside yourself. You see the shame. You see the, you see the hurt. You see the pain. You see the scars. You see the struggle. You see how you've hurt people and how people have hurt you, and you, you carry these, these things with you, and, and you wish it could be different. And what happens is then we just suddenly get to this place where we either blame somebody, blame somebody else for it. Well, it's because of my parents, you know, because the way I was raised, that's why I am the way I am. Or, or we just, you know, we try to cover it up so people don't see it, or, or honestly, we just, we just kind of settle in, and we just kind of, just kind of accept it like this is this is who I am, and, and, and this is the story of this, this woman here, and I, I think the lyrics in the song say it, say it so well. In, in the song, he says this, lately, her face seems slowly sinking, wasting, crumbling like pastries. And you just wonder, man, can it be better? And I am here today to tell you it can be better. I'm here to tell you today, you don't have to accept it. You don't have to accept it. Come on, tell three people right now, you don't have to accept it, and I don't have to accept it. You don't have to accept it, I don't have to accept it. We do not have to accept it. But I want to be up front before we get started and get into the scripture. I want to be up front with all of you so you know, and I'm not going to pull a hat trick at the end here. Here is the crux of the whole thing, is that it all begins by taking a step towards Jesus. You got to be willing to take a, a step towards Jesus. That's what this woman in this story was willing to do. She, she took a huge risk showing up at this house, but she took a step towards Jesus. And what I love about this story that you see in the story is she came in pain, but she left in peace. That can be you today. Whatever the pain is that you've walked in with, you can walk out those doors today with peace, the peace that God can bring you. But you got to be willing to take a risk like this woman did. And let's, let's look at the story. Go back to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Again, one of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, asked Jesus to have dinner with him, full of pride, it's all about him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. 
Jesus shows up anyway, even in the midst of your pride. And when a certain immoral woman, this prostitute, the lady of the night from that city, heard he was eating there, she, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. This lady is not supposed to be at this party. This, par- this party is not for her. And, and that this is not what the Pharisee had in mind when he set up the dinner. His, his picture was, Jesus is going to show up and I'm going to look good. And now there's a prostitute who's worked her way to the table. This is not what this guy wants. Now, here's why he doesn't want this. Because the Pharisees had what is called a separatist mentality. They, they, um, they were holy men. They were righteous before God, holy men, but they, they had a misconstrued idea. They, they thought that, well, because I'm holy and, and I have to stay pure, I cannot touch anything that's unclean. I, I can't touch a person or anything that might be unholy, unclean, immoral. And now here's this woman showing up at the table, and this Pharisee is pushing back on it. He's a separatist. As Christians, as as followers of Jesus, we can fall into this same trap and develop a separatist mentality where, where we shut ourselves off from the world to protect ourselves from the world. And the truth is, it starts very innocently. I think even for the religious leaders, it started very innocently because, man, I... I I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want to be true to my faith. I, I, I want to be pure. Like, I, I, I want to be holy. And those are all good things. But I, I can tell you just personally for me, I can't speak for you, but let me speak for myself. I'm a recovering Pharisee. Any, anybody remember the 90s? Anybody remember the 90s? 90s people in the house? Anybody remember the 90s? Yeah, do you, they used to have these things called pogs. It was a kid's toy. Google it later. But they had these pogs, and somebody, and I, the community that I was running in, and some of the people that I ran around with had, had a separatist mentality. You've got to separate. You can't let any of these things touch you. You, can't, you cannot let your children have pogs. And I was like, well, okay, we can't let our kids have pogs because they're bad. They're demonic. Something's really wrong with them. And so they came out with these Christian pogs. Like they, instead of having the little things on it, they had like a picture of Moses or a picture of an angel. So it's like, hey, I'll, I'll trade you the angel Gabriel for Moses. I mean, it's just weird. That's what they did. It was these pogs or, or music. You couldn't listen to secular music, whatever that meant, you know? So you couldn't listen to NSYNC, but you could listen to Plus One. <laughs> Three of you listened to Plus One, didn't you? Again, you're going to have to Google that. They, I know some of you are looking at me like, are you serious? They had a chart, a poster. They used to put these up in youth rooms. And on it, they had all of the secular bands on one side and then the Christian equivalent on the other. And I, and I remember going, well, we can't listen to that. We're not supposed to do that. And it's confusing for me because I work for a secular radio station. And I was like, I guess we can't do this any, anymore. And finally, I, I got to this point where they, I, they said, you can't buy Procter & Gamble products. And I was like, why can't you do that? And then on the back, because the, the logo, it, it looks, it has a half crescent moon and stars, and it's, it's some kind of demonic thing. And I was like, well, okay. And I remember, I remember being at the store and looking at toothpaste and going, was this made by Procter & Gamble? I don't think we can brush our teeth with this because our teeth will rot out. And I was sure something bad will happen. And then suddenly I was like, enough. And I was like, I got to get off this train. 
The separatist mentality. Like, I mean, you know, even we even do it a little bit even today. I don't watch YouTube. I'm only on GodTube. I don't watch Netflix. I'm on PureFlix. Okay, I mean, just on and on and on, and, and, and we, we push back. And here's what I want to say to you today. Jesus was not a separatist, okay? Jesus was not a separatist, but he was also not a conformist. So he wasn't a separatist, but he was also not. You read throughout the New Testament, and I, I think what's happened is we've come through this era of separating ourselves, and we swung the pendulum all the way over to conforming. So we've gone from pulling back and sheltering ourselves to just going right into, into the world and being like the world. And, and we, we say, you know, that what we're doing is now we're, the, the world is defining our values. The world is defining our, our, our standards. And, and, you know, we, here's how you know that you are conforming. Is a conformist will say things like this. Well, you know, I mean, the Bible is like, I mean, come on, this is, a, this is kind of an old dated book, and, you know, times are changing. Come on, come on, you're just being an old fart. Come on, things are t- times have changed, things are different now. And what happens is we allow the world to define our values and our standards. We even let the world begin to define who our God is. And what happens is, here's how you know you're becoming a conformist, because you stop reading this. It's less and less are you reading it during the week, and you start showing up at church less and less and less, which I'm still a follower of Jesus. And the next thing you know, you cannot determine what your standards are if you're never in this word or you're never in his house. This is how we get our standards. This is how we get our, our values is from the word of God as he speaks to us through that. And so we have this danger of becoming a conformist and conforming to the world. It's like we've taken, in, in the last 20 years, we've just thrown out the last 2,000 years. I just don't get that. Like what we're saying is, well, you know, for 1,980 years, they were way off. Glad we figured it out. We're the smart ones. You know what that's called, right? Pride. We have it figured out, but the past generations didn't have it figured out. And here's what I want you to know. This isn't a new problem. We like to think it's just our problem, but it's not. It's actually, it started almost 30 to 40 to 50 years after Jesus ascended to heaven Churches started having this problem. People were just letting the world define their standards. And so the Apostle Paul, who started a bunch of churches, he's like, all right, and he started writing letters to churches and saying, listen, our standard is built off of the word of God. Our standard is built on God. And he wrote a letter to the Ephesian church. And here's what he said to the Ephesian church, okay? Ephesians 5, 1, he said this, imitate who? Imitate? God. Imitate what? God. God. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. It's, it's hard to imitate God when you're smashed drunk. That's just the truth of it. It's hard to imitate God when you wake up next to somebody that you met the night before. It's hard to imitate God when you cheat on that exam or rewrite that paper off of someone else's so that you can pass that test and get that grade or get that degree. It's hard to imitate God when you do those things. But we don't imitate the world. And we don't imitate the Pharisees. We are imitators of Jesus. We imitate Jesus. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, Luke gives this account when Jesus kind of telling who he was. Jesus comes on the scene, and this is not really his first sermon, but I like to call it his first sermon. He stands up in the synagogue, and they hand him the, the scroll, and he starts reading some scripture. And he says this about himself. 
In Luke 4.18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. See, Jesus wasn't about separating or conforming. Jesus was about transforming. That's who Jesus was. He wasn't a separating person. He wasn't a conforming person. He said, no, I have come to transform your life. Look, look, what the, look back at it. It says what? Captives, get released. What's that? Transformation. The blind see. That's transformation. The oppressed are set free. That's transformation. For 17 years, this church has been all about transforming people's lives with the hope and the healing and the peace and the purpose that only Jesus can bring. Listen, addicts have become preachers in this house. Come on, somebody. That's who we are. I mean, from the pipe to the pulpit. From the dope dealer to the hope dealer. I am preaching up in here right now. Some of you are like, what is he doing? What is he doing? I'm talking about Buddy Davis. And if you don't know Buddy, Buddy's one of my best friends. And I've had a front row seat and just been with Buddy and I have been close and off, I mean, we worked together in the office and done ministry together, did ministry together this weekend, intervening, trying to help a friend and uh, I talked to Buddy this, this weekend and I said, hey, um, talk to me about what's, what's going on and, and they, he, if you don't know Buddy, he, um, he came out of addiction and then started a ministry called Celebrate Recovery, became an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene and now him and his wife Alicia are running... Abba Compassionate Ministries um, in, in uh, just south of downtown Tulsa. Feeding the homeless, giving the good news to addicts and those who are struggling with addictions and hurts, habits, and hangups. And so I asked him, I said, how's it, how's it going? And you know, every week at Celebrate Recovery, every Saturday night, they have almost 200 people show up working through their addictions and their hurts and their habits and hangups. Over 200 people, almost 200 people showing up every single week. Okay, now, wait, it gets even better. So... Buddy doesn't stop there. I mean, he's intense. He is, he's intense. So they go into the prisons, and they're like, we're going we're gonna to change the prisoners' lives. And, and so they have been busing in and picking up inmates and bringing them to celebrate recovery for over a decade now. And I said, how many is that? And he said, it's funny you ask that because we actually keep records of that. Are you ready for this? Over 6,000 inmates have come through the Celebrate Recovery program. Over 6,000 because we are people of transformation. That's who we are. And what I love here is, is Jesus, he loved Mary. He loved Mary. But the Pharisee labeled Mary. Look, look with me. Let me explain this. Verse 39. Here's what the Pharisee said. 
said, if this man were a prophet, first of all, he calls him a man, doesn't even recognize he is a prophet, but he's not just a man, he's the son of man, he's the son of God, he is the Messiah sent to redeem us, and he doesn't even see it, he's a scholarly religious leader, and he doesn't even see it. Let me tell you, even if you're a follower of Jesus, and sometimes the longer you follow him, the less sometimes you can see God if you're not looking for God. It doesn't matter how long you follow Jesus, you've always got to keep looking for Jesus, okay? Or you will lose sight of him. Nobody gets a free pass, including this guy. And he said, if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. She's a sinner. I, I like the way you guys said it. Kind of hesitated like, that's disappointing. He called her a sinner. But if you notice, it has an exclamation point on that scripture. It has an exclamation point. She's, he looks at her, You're, she's a sinner. It'd be like somebody standing up in our gathering, pointing across the row and say, what is he doing here? Hey, 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 hang on. I know this guy. I know what he's done. He ain't got no business being in here. He needs to get out. That's, that's, that's what's going on. That'd be awkward, be embarrassing. That's what's happening here in this story. And it's like Mary knew who she was. She knew she was a sinner. You didn't have to point that out to her. It's, like, it's not like when she was growing up. Imagine her, Mary, she's like five, six years old. She's playing with dolls. And just imagine that. I mean, it's not like when she was a, a child playing with dolls that she said, hey, you know, one day I, I hope I can grow up and train wreck my life. You know what I want to do? I, I want men to use me and abuse me. That's the kind of girl I hope I grow up to be. Sure would be great if I could grow up one day and be an outcast and everybody would make fun of me. Nobody would ever really know who I am. No, and now here's Mary. She's an adult, and she's standing here at the party, and she's been pointed out, and she knows who she is. And it's just kind of the sinking feeling that must have come over her because she doesn't see a way out. And see, this Pharisee labeled her sinner. This is who she is, and this is who she will always be. But, but, but not, not Jesus. Jesus doesn't label her. Maybe that's you. Maybe today, maybe you've been labeled by Christians. I don't know, maybe it was a preacher like me who said some very unkind things from a platformer to your face and labeled you and said, this is who you are. Or maybe, maybe it was a family member, or maybe it was a co-worker, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister. I don't, I don't know, but somebody stuck a label on you, and it's just kind of stuck with you, and you're just like, this is, this is, who, this is who I am. This is all I'll ever be. I, I like in, in the song it says it this way. And they, they say she's in the class A team stuck in her daydream. Stuck. Maybe that's you. You just feel, you just feel stuck. Whether you're not following Jesus or you've been following him for 30 years, I don't know. But you just, you just have that label and you, you've constantly always worn that. And again, I want to say to you is Jesus doesn't label you. He loves you. Jesus doesn't label you. He loves you. Come on, tell three people right now, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves me. Come on, turn back to him and say, he, he loves me. He loves me. Because here's, here's the confession that's so hard. It's easier for us to turn to people around us and say, hey, Jesus really, Jesus loves you. He really loves you. He really, it's so easy. But then all of a sudden to turn and say, hey, Jesus loves I think, uh, 
I mean, that one thing, but maybe he's, I think he loves me. I'm hoping, I'm hoping Jesus loves me. No, 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 no. I don't care what label has been put on you. Jesus loves you. He doesn't label you. You're a child of God. And listen, here's the words of Jesus in verse 47, just to put a stamp on it. He says, I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been, everybody say this together, what? Forgiven. He, listen, he doesn't ignore her sin. He, he doesn't ignore it at all, but he sees beyond the label. He sees a child of God. He sees his creation. He sees who she can become. And he says, I'm not going to put that label on you. This, this weekend, I was at the hospital with a friend of mine, and he is, uh, struggles with alcoholism. And he, he got saved and baptized uh, several years ago. And uh, it's just always kind of had this grip on him. And he had some tragedy happen in his life, and it caused him to spiral out of control. And, and he fell into the bottle, and he, he, lost, he lost everything. And, and in his own admission, he'd tell you he's, he hurt a lot of people. But I, I just, for some reason, I just never would give up on him. And so I'd call him or text him. We'd go to, uh, we'd go to breakfast. And, and I just, uh, he's, he's on my daily prayer every day. I see his name. Pray for him. God, just rescue him. And uh, he showed up a couple weeks ago. And uh, wasn't in really good shape. But he texted me, and he, and he said, man, the people of Core Church are so kind. They're so loving to me. They're so accepting. And, and you, know, you know what I love is we don't label people here. We love people here. We, we reflect Jesus. We're imitators of Jesus. We don't label people. And you, you loved on, on, on my friend, and, and, and he called me the other day, and he was in really, really bad shape. And, and I said, man, you, you, you got to get help. And he's like, man, I really do. I know I need help. And so with the help of a friend and some family members, um, he, he checked himself into a, a hospital. And, and I went up to see him in the hospital this, this weekend. And, um, and, I, and he said, man, I'm just, you know, I'm just, uh, it's alcohol, and I'm just an alcoholic. And I said, stop calling yourself that. Now, I, I get it. I understand that we have these things to help us identify. But I'm, I said, stop calling yourself an alcoholic. That's not who you are. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. Identify with that. Take the label off. Put on a new label. And when you feel like saying, I'm a child of God, this is all I'll ever, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an alcoholic and this is all I'll ever be and this is all I am and I can't get free, do not verbally speak that ever again. I said, just when you feel like it, stand up and just say, I'm a child of God. When you don't feel like you're a child of God, just stand up and say, I'm a child of God. Why? Because he's taking steps towards Jesus, and he wants to get free, and he is a child of God. That's who you are today. You're a child of God. Come on, tell somebody right now. Tell three people you're a child of God. You are a child of God. Look what Jesus said to the woman in verse 50. He said, your faith has saved you. What? Go in peace. Come on, say those three words again. Go in peace. She came in pain, but she left in peace. You may have walked in today with some pain, but you today, my friend, can walk out in peace. 
And Mary shows us how. What's interesting about Mary is Jesus forgave her, but does anybody see anything in this story about her praying the sinner's prayer? She didn't pray a prayer. I don't even see anything in this story where she verbally said, please forgive me. But this is what I love about Jesus is I think everything within her, all of her actions expressed and said what she was unable to verbally express, that she desired forgiveness. She desired peace with God, and Jesus picked up on that and saw that. Look, look with me. This is, this is what it looks like to find forgiveness and peace with God. In verse 38, it says, Then she knelt beside him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell at his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. So the first thing we see is that Mary, what? She, she, she knelt down. She, she humbled herself. The Pharisee, remember, he's in a prideful position. It's all about him. But Mary in this moment says, no, it's, it's not about me anymore. And that's what we, we come to Jesus. If you want to be forgiven, if you want the label taken off, if you want a new start and a new beginning, humble yourself before God. But she didn't stop there. It says that she, she wept. She wept so much. Like, you know, she was broken over who she was. Are you broken over who you are? Are you broken over what you've done? So many times we just brush right by that and we're just like, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. And we never did business or dealt with our sin and the things that we did in life to hurt people and to hurt ourselves. We got to stop. And we got to look in the mirror. Yeah. I did that. And that wasn't cool. Hurt a lot of people. Hurt my God. I hurt myself. I, I don't like this. I don't want it. But it doesn't stop there. It says that Mary wiped and kissed Jesus now, we talked about the cultural context of that, but when I read that, it reminded me of the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah, he, he, said, he spoke this, and he spoke this prophecy about something that was coming, and, and it was about it, several things, but one of the things he was prophesying about was the coming Messiah, and he said this in chapter 52, verse 7. The prophet Isaiah said, how beautiful on the mountains are what? Say this together, are what? The feet. Mary's at the feet of Jesus how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of what? Peace and salvation. It's, it's like Mary. I don't know if she knew that prophecy. I, it doesn't tell us, but I just envision that she's all of a sudden she realizes these feet are pretty beautiful. They're pretty amazing because they brought good news and salvation to me. When's the last time you knelt at Jesus' feet and said, ho, how beautiful are the feet of Jesus. You came to me when I was a sinner, and man, you changed me. You brought salvation to me. You changed my life. That's where it's at. Mary recognizes you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You're the only one who can free me. She came in pain, but she left in peace, and you today may have come in pain, but you can leave in peace. Peace.